Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. All right. Hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy in the... uh, well, let's see, the uh, Omsbudman of Oregon Wine. I'm excited today. Uh, and by the way, happy birthday. It's happy birthday, Radio. My sister's birthday, Michelle, uh, she's turning a big, uh-huh, <laughs> very monumental birthday, as we all are when we get past that. Uh, but happy birthday to my sis. And um, I hope everyone's maintaining, uh, hey, freedom is here. We're getting out and about. Uh, remember, social distancing still applies and wear that mask and wash your hands and just be nice, right? Be nice when you get out to the public. If we've got a lot of our issues being inside for so long, it's been crazy, of course. So now we get to exercise and lose some of those comfort pounds that we put on. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and wash it down with some great Oregon Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, uh, speaking with Jim Burnow, who is the founder of Lamette Valley Vineyards. He's online today. I'm super excited because he's one of the old guard, uh, so to speak, or one of the old new guards, I should say. And we'll get that whole story about Lamette Valley Vineyards, some of their wines, uh, and of course, their newest acquisition, Maison Blue. And there's something special at the end of the show. So without further ado, uh, Jim Burnow, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Christopher, thank you very much for having me. It's a privilege to be on your show, and and I want to thank you for how you have been telling the the Pacific Northwest story uh, for wine for very very well for years. Right? You you provided a lot of leadership. Uh, you've told you've been, you've helped our industry here in Oregon a great deal. I appreciate it. Wow, thank you so much. I'm very flattered and uh, humbled by those words. Uh, let's talk about you though, um, Jim Burnout. How did you get into wine? And tell me when that that moment uh, that year was. Christopher, it, it, for me, it started um, at a very young age. Uh, the very first <laughs> winemaker to come to Oregon um, uh, back in the late 1950s, bringing vinifera vines into Oregon, was a fellow named Richard Summer. Oh. And and he came up from, he studied UC Davis uh, even before they had a vinifera and, 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 and an enology program there. And he, he believed it was in Oregon, not California, where he'd be able to grow his cool climate varieties. Well, when he got up to Oregon, he got as far as the Umpqua Valley oh. before he decided he, he thought he'd gone far, far enough north. And then he had to figure out how to get a winery license. So he, went into the, he, he drove his pickup into the town of, of little town of Roseburg to hire <laughs> himself a lawyer. And he, he found my dad. What? And, and, and so... So my dad would bring a lot of things home from his clients, right? Um, well, he brought Richard's wines home, and he shared them with my brother and I at the dinner table. I was 10. My brother was 12. And that is when my journey started. Wow. Wow. So uh, what were those wines? What were those cool climate wines? Were they from actually from uh, Umpqua Valley, or were they from California? No, he had planted uh, he had planted his Pinot Noir and, and Riesling and other varieties in the Umpqua Valley, and then um, when he you know, when he started to decide to make wine and and uh, he needed to get a winery uh, license, <laughs> and of course they hadn't issued a winery license in years, right? right? 
So, so it wasn't a simple thing for him to, to do. So that's why he hired my dad, and that was in the early uh, 1960s. Wow. Okay. What was the name of the first winery there then? Or, and would, would that have been the called, first winery? Called, well, there were, there were fruit and berry wineries sure, okay. in Oregon. Uh, but this was the first vinifera winery, wow. Hillcrest. Hillcrest. Hillcrest Vineyards. How about that? Uh, in the Umpqua Valley. And, and so he was the first, actually, to plant and make Pinot Noir in the state of Oregon. Cool. And uh, I, I imagine he's passed on, and has he, does he, did he, he leave has. a legacy? He has. Well, he, you know, his, the winery, his vineyard's still there, still operating. And, um, and of course, he, his legacy is, is his role in, in how he started the Oregon wine industry. Wow, you know it's interesting that I didn't really hear that story. I mean, I've been a, a participant in Oregon Pinot Camp, and maybe that's a little different. But um, do, does the state celebrate that sort of story, that uh, incursion of oh, yeah, uh, ab- ab- foreigner? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, of course, the of course the Willamette Valley. You know, David Lett when he came to Oregon, which he came in 1965. Right. So uh, a few years later. Um, you know, he planted in the Willamette Valley, and it was really in the Willamette Valley where the Pinot Noir uh, really took hold. And uh, and and so that was, you know, in, you know, there's a story about when David came up. Remember, he was he studied actually at UC Davis, but he studied dentistry. Oh, really? And, and but he, but he but he but he wanted to make wine. That was his passion. And so he he actually sold books. He sold textbooks to finance his effort to come to Oregon. <laughs> and he ta- he. He talked his uncle into loaning uh, loaning his uncle's uh, horse trailer so he could haul grape cuttings up from California to Oregon. And when he first uh, he you know he decided uh, David Ladd, who's now the second uh, producer of Pinot Noir in Oregon, right? He decided he decided to plant his vineyard up on Brayman Orchards Road. Now that's above Dundee. Yeah, Dundee and and Dayton. So it's it sits up above in elevation above Dundee and Dayton. And he bought that land for two hundred and fifty dollars an acre, <laughs> which is all he could afford at the time. Well, I remember seeing pictures of them planting, and uh, you know, it's certainly an old timey kind of picture, and and just being uh, almost hippies. They had like they had long hair back then too, or something. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, that was they were they were uh, well in the Oregon wine industry. Of course, continues to be kind of very independent. Um, you know. Uh, people. That's the Oregon way, right? Absolutely. But back then, I mean, you really had to be uh, a visionary because um, remember, you know, actually it was difficult even to get your Pinot Noir ripe in the Willamette Valley back in in those days. Sure. And that's changed though, hasn't it? It has. It has quite a bit, actually, over the time. If you look at my growing records, you know, I've I've been growing since 1983 here in, uh, in the Valley. And if you look at the growing records I've had over those years, you can see how our weather has changed and the impact it's had on on picking dates and bricks levels and the fruit and so on. Sure. Well, let's go back to 1983. Now, you decided because on those simple, those early tastes of Riesling and Pinot Noir that you were going to start a winery. And did you do some uh, consulting or did you do an internship someplace? Did you have some friends who were doing it? it, Well, what happened was, you know, I I had had actually picked up... uh, well, actually, when my my brother and I we we actually started making wine by snitching the frozen Concord grape <laughs> juice out of the freezer, and 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 we hid it from our parents for quite a long time, and then it got more serious into home winemaking, 
and and but but what happened? What really happened? The thing that really triggered it was uh, when I I was a very young um, uh, association director for a small business association that Richard Summer was a member of. Okay, and he called me. Yeah, he called me in 1981 on, a, on the phone, and he said, um, he said, now, Jim, he says, we, want, we need laws to help us grow an industry. And, and he was a member of my business association, and so was Scott Henry. You might remember Scott Henry. Scott Henry, Henry yeah. Well. And, and also Dick Ponzi was on the phone. Ah. And they were essentially the leaders at that time of the Oregon Wine Growers Association, which headquartered in Douglas County, not actually in the Willamette Valley. Sure. And, and so they said, we need, you know, we need, we can't afford a lobbyist. We don't, we need some help figuring out how to draft legislation to, to support research and promotion for our industry. And so at a very young age, I had to figure out how to convince lawmakers to do this when, when they really had thought that we were all just, you know, making our wine in our garages and drinking too much. Of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so, and that's how it started. And so, um, uh, so then what I did was I started looking for land, and in 1983, I uh, started planting. Wow. How many wineries were uh, there in 1983? Seven, eight, nine, ten? Oh, yeah. or? Just a, there was just a handful. Yeah. There, it, there was very, very few. I think we had 40 um, in Washington State about that time. You know, but, you know, and our leaders were, uh, you know, people like Dickie Rath and, and Bill Fuller of Tualatin Estate Vineyards. Tualatin, and, yeah. And, and, uh, and um, you know, David Adelsheim. Knudsen. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And and that that group was the core group that I I learned from, and um, and and so that was that. So I was I was the youngest in that in that group, and I I really followed them. I they were the pioneers, and I I was close behind them. Wow. And how many acres did you plant there in 1983 for your first vineyard? And was it all Pinot Noir, or did you go Chardonnay as well? I plant the first I planted was Pinot Noir. And it was um, it was only fifteen acres. That's and a lot, the, though, for eighty three for being you know. Hey, we're getting this stuff right. That's an investment. Well, it, well, it wasn't that much of an investment because I was still working. Actually, I, I had to work several jobs to afford it, and I couldn't afford the vines, the the the, the graplings, right? The, right. And so um, Susan Sokolblosser, she said, well, she'd give me some graplings to plant, and and she let me pay her on time. And and so did the Castiles over at Bethel Heights. Yeah. So my first vines, actually, I I, I used to drive over to the winery, and give them my monthly payments for the vines that I bought from them, <laughs> and they ne- and they never charged me interest. And you might remember uh, um, Dan Duche of uh, Freedom Hill Vineyard. Freedom Hill. Well, Dan Duche uh, brought his tractor over, and we used a Christmas tree planter cause, to plant those first vines. Oh wow. And so it it was uh, it was a very um, definitely you know pulling yourself up by the bootstraps type of start. Sure. Well, and uh, how many acres does Willamette Valley Vineyard hold now? Well, we're, we farm over five hundred acres now. Okay. And how many varieties? So, it's, so we're so oh a number of varieties, but but really our our focus is Pinot Noir, and so well over half of our production that we make here at the winery is Pinot Noir. Fantastic. We, we absolutely love it. Yeah, so well... We, we like specializing in that. <laughs> and you uh, you had several different, well, I want to say five or six expressions of Pinot Noir. Is that right? I remember there's an Elton, there's an Estate, there's the Burnout Block. Uh, yes, it, t- it took, Christopher, it took me over 30 years 
to finally get to the point to where I could grow all of my own Pinot Noir. And so, but, but really it came with a lot of help. For example, both Bill Fuller, who started his vineyard 12th in the state in 1973, you know, he was the winemaker at Louis Martini really? down in Napa. And he told, he told his boss, he said, look, I can't make great, grow, I can't grow and make great Pinot Noir here. I'm going North. Well, you think about that. Bill Jeez. Fuller was the, was in that first group was really the only practicing winemaker in California. The, and, and he put his kids and the in, in wife at the station wagon and, and they, they followed him in the pickup, and he brought cuttings up. Uh, think about the courage of Bill Fuller and his family. And, and But when he wanted to retire, I'm the lucky guy that got his call. And I didn't have the money to buy Tualatin Estate Vineyards, so I proposed to Bill Fuller that we merge our businesses. Really? And then by merging our businesses, he became an owner in Willamette Valley Vineyards, a partner with me. But then I was able to borrow the money from the bank to help with his retirement. Ah, how about that? Well, and then, and fantastic. Then, and so and that, that was an amazing vineyard, Christopher. That was 83 acres on its own roots. Interesting. Now, is that still the case? Is most of Oregon planted on its own roots, or has it been uh, sort of different American rootstock? No, no. Now it's it, you know ever since phylloxera was discovered right. in the Willamette Valley, you know we switched over to matching you know um, American rootstock, root sure. Yeah, resistant rootstocks. Yeah, makes sense. And and then later I was able to lease the Elton Vineyard. Ah, Elton, that's um, right. So in, in, in the Ola Hills, and that was from Dick and Betty O'Brien. <laughs> so, th- th- so those are the three key vineyards that make up our estate uh, wines, and that and so you see these single vineyard designates. Um, and then I have a, then I have a fourth vineyard called Berno Estate. All right, hold on to that thought because I know we're going to go to break here in a second. But I'm super excited. That was the best history lesson in in about 15 minutes or so. Speaking with Jim Burnow, who's the owner president. Uh, you were the original winemaker, or were you not the winemaker back then? Oh, good heavens! You wouldn't want me to be the winemaker. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, we, uh, Dr. Robert McRitchie. You might remember Dr. Robert McRitchie. Well, let's talk about uh, him in was, a second, huh? Sure, Speaking with Jim yeah. Burnow, president of Willamette Valley Vineyards. We're talking about some Oregon history here, and I've got two bottles of Oregon wine to share with you. Coming up next, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Some say three is a crowd. We say the more the merrier. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekdays, 9 to noon, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hope you're having a great Saturday night. And uh, I've got uh, two bottles of wine and one cool cat. Jim Burnow, who is the founder, owner, president of Willamette Valley Vineyards. Well, I guess he's one of many owners now because I believe they went public. And we're going to talk about that. But, Jim, you were just talking about a story. Uh, tell, continue with that story. Well, you know, the, uh, the first winemaker I had here was a fellow named Dr. Robert McRitchie. And he was the winemaker at Sokol Bosser when oh. he decided he wanted to become, he wanted to, to do more consulting work. And so he left Sokol Bosser and he was the one who got me started. And it was just the two of us. And so I was his, um, his cellar rat. <laughs> uh, and, and, but, and I really did. And he was remarkably accomplished, um, you know, during his career in, 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 in starting the Oregon wine industry. So I was very fortunate. 
Pretty neat. Where did uh, where was his chops uh, honed? California. Yes. Oh, yes. He was uh, quite an accomplished. He was actually, I believe, the only winemaker that had achieved a Ph.D. level in um, in oh. his field. So, and, and one of the things that uh, you know, he had many great uh, kind of uh, recognitions, and one of them was um, making the wine that that bested all of the French wines in the in the uh, uh, the taste off that was done in 1985 in uh, New York City. Oh, really? Center. Was that a Spurrier that event too, or was that Windows on the World kind of thing? That was a uh, New York Wine Center event, oh. um, and, uh, and and so that that's one of the events that really made the world uh, take notice uh, because uh, of the top seven positions, Oregon wineries earned the top five in that tasting. Wow, wow! What vintage do you think that was? Was that a that was that was, that was the uh, that was the eighty three vintage? Really. Which was which was a great vintage, by the way. Uh huh. Well, I mean, it's interesting because we look back and what great vintages were. Now they've changed to some degree, and with global warming, and of course, uh, you know, Willamette Valley people don't understand that Willamette Valley can get very, very hot. You know, we always think about this cool climate stuff, but I've had some great, great uh, heat heat degree days there in the Willamette Valley. I know that over the years we've uh, had wonderful Oregon Pinot camps. I'm one of the few alumni to go back after 10 years. I believe it was hot the, in 2001 and then it rained in 2010. Of course, that was a crazy vintage too. <laughs> you know, we, we've had more variability actually in our weather. Um, that's one thing that clearly our records show. As you, as you just said, 2010, 2011 were very wet and cool uh, years. But but we actually, if you look at the data, I mean, if you tr- kind of trend, you know, if you just put a line through all the dots sure. uh, over the years, you'll see that the season, the growing season tends to be shifting into the fall, which, believe it or not, uh, benefits growers like ourselves who grow Pinot Noir because you want those drier, that little bit drier conditions just uh, at the tail end of ripening. And and you want to pick for flavor, not not for alcohol, like you like, or for sugar, like you do in in California. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, the little so secret, you, huh? Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, so you, you, so yes, and and so, but the other is is that we have had, um, you know, you get just a lot more mouthfeel with these a uh, little bit higher bricks levels. And that's what we're seeing. Right on. Well, let's talk about Chardonnay. So uh, speaking with Jim Bernal, president and owner of uh, Willamette Valley Vineyards, uh, when did you first plant Chardonnay? And, and was it the Dijon Clos? Or I know that most of that Oregon Chardonnay was Wente back in the day. Yes. Um, well, David Adelsheim and I went to Burgundy on a, uh, uh, on a trade mission to um, continue to encourage the, the Burgundians to help us. <laughs> and what, one, of, one of the reasons why the French were interested in Oregonians was because when we started our industry, we established laws back in 1977 called Truth and Labeling Laws. Right. And, and you, of course, you know you're an expert on these. But, but the, well, basically for your, your listeners, it was a way of making sure that we respected French law, that you know, we couldn't use a geographic designation on our labels that was, that was theirs like Burgundy or Champagne, things of that, or Chablis, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we had very high standards for content. In fact, Oregon has the highest standards of content um, in, in the nation. Right. 
And so, and so the French looked at us and thought, you know, maybe all these, maybe not all Americans are bad. <laughs> maybe, maybe these Oregonians, uh, you know, I have something going here. And so they were willing to provide us with these uh, uh, Dijon clone um, cuttings um, that greatly enhanced the wine quality here. And that's because the vines had changed in California over the 150 years they'd been there and mutated whereas the plant the original plant material we got from from burgundy ripened two weeks earlier and that was a discovery that oregon winemakers made that that people didn't know in the world of wine Hmm. were were the that you know the value of getting the original plant material from the the source was so important absolutely well tell me so what was the first year you planted uh, chardonnay then Oh my gosh! It was when they first released the clones uh, to us <laughs> after the they clones. went through. After they went through, uh, they had to go through a quarantine. Oh right, they, sure. They, looking for virus and all that. That's absolutely yeah. So it was a three-year quarantine. In fact, Oregon State University had to get a permit from the federal government to legally establish themselves as a quarantine site, uh, so that they could bring this plant material into OSU. Wow! And then, of course, right after that, we we scrambled and got it into the vineyard. Sure. Uh, super cool. Well, um, let's talk about this. I have the 2016 Willamette Valley Vineyards Dijon Clone Chardonnay. Is this a single block or is this a blend of different blocks? And how? what's the uh, age of the vine material? Well, these uh, vines are, well, you, as you can know, they're really not that, that old. They're planted in the mid-90s. Okay. Um, and the, um, or the early 90s, I'm sorry. And the... Um, and they consist of several different clones that we got from from Burgundy, the Dijon clone 76 and 96. And this is from two vineyards, um, the vineyard here at the estate that I planted, as well as the, the vineyard that Dick and Betty O'Brien planted called Elton Vineyard. Mm, Elton. That's the fruit source of these two. And the 2016 vintage, is, as you know, uh, gave us, um, it was cooler in the in the spring, and so we had a wet spring, and so we had a, a, a low fruit set uh, because okay. of flowering. Sure. Uh, interfered with flowering. And so as a result, you got some just remarkable flavors. And then it cooled down, in, 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 and as a result, it allowed us to retain some nice brightness and acidity. Yeah, I'm tasting it, and I have to say that um, – Knowing that tasting Oregon uh, Chardonnay for the years that I have, um, and understanding that the that sort of category of uh, winemaking in Oregon has changed because of vineyard site, whether it's the right clones from Wente to Dijon, were they going for ripeness, were they going for Chablis style esque uh, acidity, and were they putting on oak? I think you kind of captured it here. And, and that being said, that most of those Chardonnays, there was there was always there was never real continuity in Oregon Chardonnay. Um, here, I think you've, you've created one that I believe uh, really matches what the purity of fruit is and the purity of expression. Um, you don't have much oak on this wine. It's, uh, it has um, just nice, bright acidity, but it's not sharp. And uh, there's very little lees contact here. Did this go through mallow? Yes, it did. Yes, we actually hand stir the, um, the lees. Mm, well, uh, in, it's in the barrel. Very in balanced, barrel. very balanced, and it doesn't. You know, I love the taste of of lees. I love that Chablisian yeasty stuff you get, and um, the autolysis. And I'm, I'm not picking it up here on this wine, but it's so creamy on the finish. 
it's really smooth and really balanced. And I, I tell you, I'm tasting it at room temp because I taste all my wines at room temp because that tells me exactly what's there. Don't want to hide anything with uh, the chill and the acidity and all that. Uh, what's the price of this Willamette Valley Chardonnay, or the Gijon clone? Uh, it runs around $25. Right on. It's a good deal. Uh, tasty. And, of course, 22 to 25 Yeah. Like and you're not using a lot of new oak on this, right? This is maybe sec- second-use barrels, or, or has this got 10%? It, it's, it's, got a, it's got about 20%, 20%. Uh, new oak, and it's in – but remember, it's like it's, they're barrels from, like, the Nevada Forest, and so very tight grain. So they're not going to – you know, they're not from the forest of Limazon, so they're not going to push the, the wine around. Sure, and um, not and a it's big about toast. Ten months in oak. All right, well, well done. Congratulations. And now, if we can, if this is a consistent style, I believe this is something that people can really understand as far as the Chardonnay crowd goes. And it's you know anybody can make that big buttery Chardonnay, which um, a lot of people like and a lot of people understand that those flavors. But really, when you want something that's clean, that's drinkable by the glass, but also has enough acidity, verve to to match with food, uh, I think that ultimately that's going to be the the more um, uh, popular style of wine. Uh, just a couple more minutes in this segment, but quick, tell me about this Pinot Noir. This is the 2018 Estate Pinot Noir. Was that a good vintage? Jim? Huh. Uh, I don't know what happened. We had little technical difficulties here on the Happy Hour Radio. I'm going to pour this one in my glass. Mmm. Nice, ripe berry flavors, berry aromas. Uh, just a little hint of smoke. I think there's a bit of barrel here. Uh, Mmm, very juicy on the nose, if you can say that. So that's kind of a juicy nose. It's like a runny nose, <laughs> only with more flavor. Um, Jim, did you hit the mute button? Mmm, okay. So this is pretty fleshy. Uh, 2018 makes me think it was ripe. Um, but we're going to find Jim Burnow, president and owner of Lamont Valley Vineyards. Uh, I know he's out there in the Ethernet. We're going to capture him. When we come back, we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. your day the right way the commute with carlson live and local weekdays 6 to 9 a.m talk radio 570 kvi you're in the know with kvi want to know weekends here's more happy hour radio with christopher chan all right hey welcome back time for round three and i actually have three bottles of wine open in front of me uh the first was the 2016 Dijon Clone Willamette Valley Vineyard Chardonnay. The second is the 2018 Willamette Valley Vineyard Estate Pinot Noir. And uh, I know that we'd like to wander around in Willamette Valley. And Jim, were you out wandering? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome well, back. I'll tell you what, it's a gorgeous day today. Yes, it is. All right, so tell me about the 2018. I mean, the, the hallmark, the signature grape for uh, Willamette Valley Vineyards and most of Willamette Valley is Pinot Noir. Tell me about this 2018 Estate Pinot Noir. You know, it, it, this uh, vintage is fantastic, as we discussed. And mm. it, this comes from our three vineyards, the estate vineyard I planted in 83 that's, that's located just south of Salem in the Salem Hills on, on shallow volcanic soil. It also is sourced from the 12th in the estate vineyard planted back in 73 by Bill Fuller. And that's on a soil type called laurel wood. It's very unusual. That's a new soil. one. I don't remember that one, laurel wood, huh? It, yeah, it's it's a it's got a, a marine based uh, uh, marine base to it, but on the top of it, 
it has what's called uh, lust, these kind of uh, uh, rock flower, this this windblown lust, stuff. right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and then what has happened is it's a strange thing. What's happened is this soil has formed what called are called piezolites, and so these piezolites look like little rusted musket balls. Oh right, yeah, like yeah. Rusty. Is that and, iron? And this soil has it. Yes, in that they're iron concretions. And, and they're literally kind of made from weathered minerals that are in the soil. And, and this has feet of it. And, and so the Pinot Noir from this particular vineyard has a very a pronounced kind of rose petal nose. And then the Elton Vineyard is in the Eola Hills, uh, not too far from uh, uh, Domaine Serene's Jerusalem Hill Vineyard. Mm. Uh, and also from Seven Springs, it's, which you could, you could probably, uh, you know, throw a, a baseball and hit hit, uh, you know, these with a good hand and hit these vineyards. And so the Seven Springs Vineyard is in the same, and this wonderful, receives a wonderful east face or morning sun. It's perfect for Pinot Noir. And so those are the three vineyards that make up this wine. And are those the cross AVAs, or is this all in uh, Dundee, or is this in... You're right. It's there. Eola. The it's all it's all in the Willamette Valley, but it's of course in the Eola Amity um, yeah. uh, AVA, and, and then and then of course there's a new AVA where Tualatin is called Tualatin AVA. No way. Is that really a new one? Oh boy. Tualatin Hills. Yeah. It's exciting. Hills is uh, in their final stages. So that that will be. Um, yeah. There's and then as you know, there's a there's a new AVA now being formed called Laurelwood. Really. Cool. That's exciting. Well, I tell you, um, you know, from a a master sommelier candidate, uh, when I taste wines and we taste them blind, um, you know, Oregon's always had this little bit of of, uh, funk. You know, there was this bridge from Burgundy. Um, It's not California. didn't have the ripeness and the overt uh, fruit from California. Didn't quite have the leanness and acidity outside of cool vintages from Burgundy. But I think you kind of nailed it in this one. To me, this is a purity of fruit that really says it's it's unique. And uh, I'm really impressed with this wine. So I understand that you went public. I remember seeing some... Uh, um, so tell me this idea of going public for Willamette Valley well, Vineyards. Hap- well, here's what happened. As you know, I, I worked my way through college in a sawmill. And to make to build a world-class winery, you've got you've to have a lot of resources. And that was my dream. But but I felt that many other people shared that dream with me. And so I went to the Securities and Exchange Commission and talked them into doing something no one had ever done before, mm. which was to crowdfund an American business. And the SEC allowed me to do a crowdfunding, essentially, of, of our winery and vineyard. And that's how I started. And, and we started with like 873 original founders who bought stock in the winery um, Willamette Valley Vineyards Inc. stock, and uh, and then it just grew over time. Why is eight seventy three so significant? Is that the address? Well, <laughs> no, that was the first. That was the first number of of, of 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 true believers. I mean, these all I had was a vineyard, right? And and these people took a leap of faith. Now we have over sixteen thousand wine enthusiasts as owners in Willamette Valley Vineyards. Wow, very cool. So you're the Green well, Bay Packers have, of I, Oregon. <laughs> well, I, I couldn't I couldn't have done it without them, and and uh, they've given us the strength, and not just the financial strength, but good for like for over twenty years we ran our bottling line with volunteers. Ah, oh, cool. Um, well, now you also have sixteen thousand uh, advocates and ambassadors. Absolutely, that's and huge. So, and so and and so then I was able to then get the Nasdaq to uh, to uh, carry the uh, to carry the trading symbol, and so. 
Uh, Which we is what? To get the, um, it's it's WVVI. WVVI. Uh, yeah, Willamette Valley Vineyards, Inc. It's our trading symbol for the common stock. And then four years ago, I did a preferred stock offering so I could go out and create uh, these unique estate vineyards in other parts of Oregon. And that's the preferred stock is WVVIP, which stands for preferred. Oh, well, sounds pretty pays, simple. It, it, <laughs> and it pays a dividend. <laughs> really? Uh, in corks, and in foil, in bottles, or in wine, or what? <laughs> well, you know, you can you can either choose to take your dividend as a wine credit, or ah. you can choose to, to get a check. Now, and, that's smart. And, uh, so, yeah. Super smart. Very cool. Well, um, as a um, president of this uh, giant, uh, uh, well, uh, public company, um, you are looking, you, you procure wine, you procure wineries. Is that right? Are you looking to, you expanded, well, I mean, I, you picked up Maison Blue. Tell well, me the story. Well, well, first of all, I mean, we're very small. Um, you know, my, you know, if you came to the winery, I mean, you, you could, uh, you, you could get to all know us in, in an afternoon. Um, so we're a very small. We're small, really. Um, we're even. We're not even the largest by Oregon standards. No, no, it's not at all. That, it's just that being publicly traded allowed us to 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 meet the legal requirements for wine enthusiasts to own the winery. So what happened was we decided we wanted to go and grow grapes um, in the promising wine uh, AVA of the Walla Walla on the Oregon side. Right, Milton Freewater. Yeah, we're dedicated to telling the Oregon wine, uh, the Oregon story through wine. And so um, Norma Kibben of Pepper Bridge and, and Chris Figgins of Leonetti and, uh, and Marty Club of LaCole had a project going uh, up, uh, called Savane, Savane, which is above the Seven Hills Vineyard right. uh, in the Oregon side. Yeah. And they said, why don't you come out here and grow some Cabernet Sauvignon? And, and I said, well, good heavens. I said, there's no way I could farm that. And they said, don't worry, we'll farm it for you. And then I said, well... Good heavens, uh, I'll need to have help with on the winemaking side. That's such a distance. They said, don't worry, we'll help you with that. So it was really, it was really their help that uh, enabled us to plant a vineyard called Pambrin. Oh, Pambrin, yeah, the, Pambrin family. And it's in, yeah, and it's in the Savane. That's right. And that's my, my family. That I'm a, my, I'm the, my fourth great grandfather and mother were Pierre and Kitty uh, Pambrin. Who ran the uh, the Nez Perce Trading Post there? Wow! And wow! So we named the we named the vineyard after them, and then they, the the uh, uh, Norm and the, and the others there helped recruit John Murray as our winemaker, and John Murray owned the winery Maison Bleu. And John Murray decided he didn't want to do the back office of uh, of the winery, so he sold Maison Bleu to us. Right, and then he skedaddled. He's down in back in Kansas City, and he was a dentist. And I remember meeting him at his shop That's in right. Prosser, and he's been in the business so long. In yeah. fact, I actually uh, negotiated some wine from him when I started my label because I came out with a great rosé, but I wanted white and red. So I got Maison Blue White and Maison Blue Red in my Coral Red and Coral White. Um, this is super, super fun. And uh, he he really established this label as, uh, you know, I think it's one of the prettiest labels. It's, it's got this elevated, elegant look, and, and the wines ha- have such a pure of place and a purity of varietal character. Uh, of course, when we talk, he does a lot of blends, and I think that's really the, the, gives you that regional taste, and everything is balanced. And I, I've always been impressed with that. Oh, he he did. A, he's done a remarkable job of making wines from the Rocks District, there, you know, just uh, outside of uh, Milton Freewater, and that's our ambition. So to to build a winery in the Rocks District, and that's what we're working on right now. We have 
planted 15 acres in the rocks. We've got 34 acres we've acquired there. And, you know, we dug out the, uh, the uh, uh, you know, the pond to hold the irrigation water. Oh, right. We dug that, we dug that pond down over 25 feet through all of these, you know, just cobblestones. And down it, below 25 feet was a white granite rock. So, so there clearly was more than one Missoula Lake flood that occurred much earlier in time. Wow! Because because uh, this, but anyway, this this the Rocks District is extraordinary, and I know your listeners know that. Absolutely, it's the Shatnip to Pop, the Shatnip to Pop of yeah. uh, the Pacific Northwest, which is uh, yeah. it's amazing to think that someone saw that and it only take a Frenchman to so ah, oh, this reminds me of all these galets, yeah. pudding stones, etc. Speaking with Jim Burnow, the president and owner of Lamet Valley Vineyards, uh, and also uh, the uh, the owner of Maison Blue. How many wineries do you have? You have Pam. Uh, Pambrin family, you've got uh, Maison Blue, of course, Lemon Valley Vineyards. Is there a, is there a fourth? Well, the uh, we are building a, uh, a wine, uh, a method Champenoise winery in near Dundee called uh, uh, Bernal Estate. I love it. All and, right, hold that thought. We're going to come back. We're going to sure. talk about that sparkling wine. I know you have, and the rest with Maison Blue, and right here on Happy Hour Radio. <laughs> He's loud, he's proud, holding nothing back. Michael Savage, The Savage Nation, weeknights 9 to 11, talk radio 570 KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for our fourth and final segment. I'm having a blast with Jim Burnow, the owner and president of Willamette Valley Vineyards, Maison Blue, and Pambrin Family uh, Winery in Oregon. Uh, Jim, you're talking about something super secret, something super cool. It's Bubbles. Tell me about this new winery you're, you're producing, planning. Well, we have um, a, uh, a vineyard, a small vineyard uh, that's biodynamically farmed in the Dundee Hills called Burnow Estate. And that's almost all Pinot Noir there. Um, and we are we are in the process of building a Method Champenoise uh, sparkling wine winery at this location. Now it's going to take us some time to do that, so people will need to be patient. <laughs> but um, but that's what we're up to. And uh, you know that's the thing about the Willamette Valley is is that I think more and more people will discover that when you, uh, you when you pick um, your Pinot Noir and your Chardonnay a little early, you know, at about eighteen, you know, eighteen and a half bricks you get the base wine for some remarkable uh, sparkling wines. And there's a history there. Of course, we have uh, Meriwether was a winery, Argyle, and there's a few others producing sparkling wines down there, of course. And I'm super excited about that. Um, Biodynamic, uh, high acidity, um, you know, you got some leaves on there. I think you're going to, you're going to, uh, age it 18 months plus, and, uh, you, you must have some big plans for that. You see the industry growing in, in the sparkling wine with the Prosecco movement, obviously is going to be a big hit as we, uh, we've seen in Rosé. You know, the big mover here, the reason why we're able to do this was a fellow named Andrew Davis. He was the winemaker at Argyle for many years, and he decided to leave there and start his own company teaching others what to do. And it's <laughs> Andrew Davis that has been really the, the person who's helped me the most figure this out. Very cool. I know uh, that so I, yeah. Rollin Souls is doing that as well. And um, let's talk about uh, – give me a, a, a website and so people can find more information about uh, your properties. Our, our website is wvv.com, Willamette Valley Vineyards. 
uh, it's really easy to find us. Um, we have, as you know, a tasting room uh, at, at the estate here just south of Salem, which also, with, with also a, a restaurant in it. Uh, we have a tasting room in McMinnville, down, downtown McMinnville on 3rd Street. We have a tasting room at Twalton Estate uh, Winery up near Forest Grove. A tasting room in uh, Walla Walla, right across from the Marcus Whitman Hotel. And we've also uh, just put a tasting room in Folsom, California. <laughs> really? We're, we're, you got Johnny we're Cash. We're you got Johnny Cash. Uh, um. Absolutely. <laughs> we're 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 taking the Oregon wine story on the road, and we've built called we've called it the Willamette Wine Works, and it's in a unique building called the Roundhouse in Folsom, California. It's a it's a mind blowing wine tasting experience. Because we wanted to, we wanted to go to California to make sure those Californians knew what we were doing up here. There you go. You got to fl- flaunt it if you got it. Uh, speaking with Jim Burnell, president uh, owner of Lemon Valley Vineyards, Pambrin and uh, Maison Blue. Of course, they have their new uh, bubble factory coming up, and that's going to be where in the heart of Dundee, or is that in McMinnville? What did you say? It, it's it's when you go south on Highway 99, you pass Archery Summit Road. Mm-hmm. It, it's the vineyard is right on your right before you get to Sokolblosser. Ah, okay. Well, we can't wait to get out and about, and uh, when all this, uh, we have the the rights of the the, the freedom to congregate again and exercise our yes. bill of rights. Uh, well, so I opened up this uh, Maison Bleu Métis. Now, uh, this is a 2017. Did you actually procure the winery, or did you uh, assume the winery back in 2017? Oh, no, or? that no. This this Métis is and actually it's named after my fourth uh, great grandmother, Catherine Pambrin. She was Cree. So she's the, really? part of my family's Mati. Yeah, we're we're um, and and actually, there's many members of my family still in the in the Walla Walla area. Um, uh, you know, great number of them since they've been there since the 1830s, right. 1820s, 1830s. And so that's the that's the reason behind the brand is to celebrate her role uh, in that running uh, Fort Nez Pierce because it would have the Hudson's Bay Company would have never been successful without the natives helping them. Absolutely. And, right. And so, so, but, but this is a blend of the uh, grapes from the Rocks District. I, I know you know the Walser uh, family uh, where we've sourced some fruit, uh, Summit View, um, and other vineyards there uh, in, on the Oregon Sure, Tom Walser. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Uh, I'm, I'm digging this wine, and I see that it's become, uh, you know, you've got Syrah in there, and that has almost become a Washington-style blend. I mean, we're, this state has put on more Syrah and more different wines than I think anywhere else in the world outside of maybe the uh, the Rhone region, of course. Um, well, this has been super fun. Now, how many employees, um, well, actually, we got a minute left, so I'm going to ask you, give me the website again. It's WVV.com. Yeah, WVV.com stands for Willamette Valley Vineyards. Perfect. And, uh, and, and yeah, we'd, we'd love to, as soon as we can receive you in the tasting room, we'd love to see you. Fantastic. Well, Jim, this has been a real treat. Um, it goes by much too quickly. There's so much more we'd love to talk about. We'll have to have you on so we can, we can, I can really pep you with some questions and uh, learn more about the history of not only Oregon wines, but the history of your family, which it sounds really cool. Of course, my family has a vineyard there in Walla Walla as well, and it's named after the Walla Walla Chief. P.O.P.O. P.O. Mux Mux, huh? <laughs> Yellow bird. <laughs> so fun. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you very much for this opportunity. My pleasure. Hey, folks, hope you enjoyed it. It's Lamy Valley Vineyards, uh, WVV.com, and Maison Bleu. Uh, great wines out of Walla Walla. Remember, when you're out and about, life is always better with the designated driver. Cheers!